0: Hello and welcome to the CEO Blindspot Show where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Dr. Medavi Jogi, who is co-founder and practicing endocrinologist at Houston Thyroid and Endocrine Specialist. And Dr. Jogi, you're also, in my view, a visionary because you realize the importance of digitizing workflow way before most people did, and including some of the benefits of telehealth. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And you're a very successful doctor, and I read lots of reviews about you. And what's unusual is they said that not only were you wonderful, but your team was wonderful. And that's hard to find. Usually the doctor's great, the team's terrible, or vice versa. So uh, you've had a lot of successes. Maybe you want to talk about a few more. And then also let us know, were you born a brilliant doctor and a brilliant leader, or did you learn some hard lessons along the way and have some blind spots?
1: I've had many blind spots, definitely not born to do anything. I was uh, pretty much a slow learner and probably struggled through every academic endeavor of my life. So most of my time in, I could say in school, was spent, when I look back on it, trying to think of, is there a better system to help me get through this class is how I remember thinking about it. But by the time I figured out the system, there was a new class. And by the time I'd figure something out, it was time to move on to something else. So I, I had a very memory in general, but I was very good at when I look back on it, on thinking about how to create a system to get good at something without a good memory. Mm. And so when I, I guess that kind of helped me later. When I, so I was pretty miserable throughout my academic life in school. <laughs> I just remember thinking this is not what I was meant to do. But now when I look back, I feel like all that time spent trying to figure out how to make my life easier in school uh, now makes what I do in my professional life a lot easier. So for example, as soon as I started a business, I couldn't find a job. Uh, I mean, the first day I, I got out of school, I, I couldn't find a job. It was the middle of a recession, mm-hmm. 2008, 2009. And uh, well, I guess the only thing I could do is just start it on my own. I already did all this education. Um, and so when I did that, there was no playbook. And so by the time I started, there was nobody to help me. I started with another friend of mine who started the practice together. And we kind of had to figure things out as we went. So the first thing we realized is that it's a lot cheaper to do things with computers. And I realized that very quickly that I could do things with analog things, phones and paper, but if you had a computer, and that's what I had realized during my schooling is that you could digitize a process. It seemed to go faster, smoother, and was reproducible. Mm -hmm. And so everything I did from the beginning uh, with my partner, I was kind of pushing for, hey, can we do this by computer? Can we do this digitally? Can we create a system? Can we create a... A way that it's always done the same way. So I don't have to think about it again, kind of a set it and forget it thing. He, on the other hand, a little bit different, wanted to do things a little bit more traditionally, but uh, he was really willing to, to go along with me on these sort of things. And so it's kind of evolved in it's own, into its own thing. Mm. So one of the ideas was, can we put everything online? And we did that really early with a website including how to connect with patients. And everything that we do was online. Mm -hmm. And I learned the more patients knew about what we did, the better. So if you go to our website, houstonendocrine.com, you find that Everything you'd want to know about endocrinology is there. There's nothing hidden. Pretty much everything we know is already out there and I'm just distilling it for somebody. So if they're super interested, they could learn everything I know just by reading my website. And so that kind of progressed over the years to to what we do with our staff. So not only are we leveraging the website to tell people about us, but we're also saying, hey, connect with us using the website, schedule with us using the website, don't even call our office. And it's, it was a weird concept in 2010 to have self-scheduling. Mm-hmm. And to have forms that you could fill out and that we never have to come into the office to fill out forms. So it's pretty much everything you would do to get into a doctor's office, see a doctor in the in the office, and then to exit the doctor's office. Eventually over by two thousand twelve, we had created digitally so that you didn't have to do anything with a human which is a little strange for some people at the time. And and now that we are in the middle of a pandemic, it's not so strange at all.
0: Right. You did this before uh, it was necessary. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So it wasn't something I was planning for, but it turned out that we were fully prepared for the pandemic because all of our processes were already digital. And our staff uh, also had learned to work with the digital items. And so there was nothing weird about telehealth call for us in 2012 and 13 and 14. It was all something we'd already been doing. So by 2020, I felt like we were already thinking about other things. For example, one of the things I noticed, you mentioned reviews. I'd always look to my competitors and I said, okay, well, what's, what's going on with these guys? Why do they get such bad reviews for X, Y, and Z? And it's always about a system. So that, oh, the doctor's great, but the staff did this. Or the staff did that, and I I guess my approach was well. The staff is just an extension of the physician, and we're basically saying, please do what the doctor could have done, but maybe do it better. Why? Why not just give them a set of rules to follow? And again, it was a system-based approach that we made. So as much as possible, as we were expanding, I tried to make very clear rules of how to do things and make the role of the assistants that we had in the office to be clear and say, okay, well, if this happens, do this. And if that happens, do that. And and there's long lists that I've created over the years, what to do when something happens. And so I feel like at the beginning, some staff are about opposed to being told exactly what to do. But it's nice when we have newer staff, the expansion is a lot easier. So from maybe from a large business perspective, these are just obvious things to do. But when you're a two-doctor, three-doctor group. Now we're a six-doctor group. We wouldn't have thought to do that, but I feel like I'm glad I had been thinking that way. So one was digitizing the whole workflow from the entry of the patient to the exit of the patient, to the actual encounter with the patient, which is something we've been doing for a while. Flipping the classroom is something we've tried, or at least I've been really pushing for, which is essentially, well, if most of what I'm doing is teaching a patient about what they need to know and explaining what the next steps would be, which is a lot of uh, speaking. Mm -hmm. why not give that information? If I've already digitally collected what what they need to be, what, what sort of information I need from them, then I already know before they even come to the visit what they need to know. I mean, as soon as they fill out their packet at midnight on a Sunday... Technically, I should have the answer for them at 1 a.m. on Sunday if I really looked at it.
0: Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's an important point because, you know, what I also hear, there's a lot of doctors who now, as you said, the crisis have had to learn to do this, but then the patients get frustrated because they show up. Not all doctors actually go through the trouble of reading everything and being prepared. And that was, again, one of the, the great compliments you had is that once they show up, you actually did take the time to read through everything and you're prepared and you can be present with them and serve them better. So. I uh, do you think that's another yeah, important that's right, thing that, it, that you've done. So. Back
1: to my, my poor academic performance, because I, <laughs> I was always reading and preparing and preparing and reading. And there's always a, 20 guys in the class that could wake up and have memorized everything 20 seconds before the test and regurgitate <laughs> and do fine. Whereas I was sitting there for days and hours and months, just repeated reading. And so I, I guess I just took that and I said, you know what, let me just read it ahead of time, batch my time. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mantra is batch your time, batch the patient's time, batch the doctor's time. So we're all doing something else when we want to be doing something else. And so I'll read all of it ahead of time and send a week late. I mean, a week before the appointment, I'll say, look, here's what you need to do. Here's a few videos that I've already made for you. That's going to say everything you need to know. And and that way you can just absorb it. Yeah. And uh, so I send a lot of like uh, Salman Khan type of videos out to patients like Khan Academy and saying, OK, here's a class on hypothyroidism. Mm hmm read about it, listen to it, review it, rewind it. And then by the time they come to the visit, well, not even before they come to visit, they start sending me messages. Well, hey, what about this? What about that? And I'll reply.
0: That is amazing. I'll
1: reply at midnight. I'll reply at 2am. Not so bad because I don't mind doing batched work. And so by the time the appointment comes, the visits are very straightforward. Okay, doc. Hey, I read your message. I understand it. And so it really comes down to working at the top of my license because my license is basically saying, I know some information and I can order X, Y, and Z tests that nobody else can, or I can give you a medication Mm -hmm. And if we lived in a freely digital society, then there wouldn't be any barriers like that. And I would not be necessary. And then it would be just, hey, who does know something and who can direct me in the right direction, which could happen tomorrow, just like telehealth Mm -hmm. wasn't allowed in February. And now it is. At some point, my license may be taken away and I'll be told anybody could do a prescription or anybody could order X, Y and Z images. And so how do you show that you are the authority on something? And so I say, well, by showing that you know something, trying to show that you're the expert. And then just because I have the license to allow X, Y, and Z, let's just use that. I mean, show up for the visit and here's what, I'll, I'll give you the orders and let's see if you can get it or the medication. Yeah, so, well, you're um, still
0: like a visionary to me that you're already thinking about what's possible in the future. So I don't see any blind spots you've had. So what what happened? Oh, I would <laughs> say
1: so many, so many strong blind spots. So a lot of my complaints in the office are you're very robotic, you do things so templated uh everything's the same. And it's not really complaints. It's just... And so when I, when, when I was initially viewing my employees, I would say, well, just do it. I mean, can't be that hard. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> But I realized, and when they say, well, you're so, such a robot, I say, well, there's only X, Y, Z things that could happen. Why don't we prepare for these 15 things? And, and then there will never be a question. I guess when I took my uh, aptitude test in school, I had a lot of low scores on uncertainty. Which is not a great thing. <laughs> so, I don't deal with uncertainty well. So, apparently, I was always trying to make things certain. So, uh, one of the biggest struggles I had is there's always uncertainty, and how to, and the number one place that uncertainty comes in, into is unpredictability of human actions and motivations. And so, how do we keep staff happy? How do I keep doctors happy that we add to the group? How do we manage people? with and so i've realized i guess i i started reading a lot more than i used to once audiobooks were a thing Mm -hmm. and so i've just been reading a lot as much as i can about how leaders should be thinking Mm -hmm. so reading about famous leaders and simon sinek's books and i came to realize that you can't just make a playbook and hope that everybody reads it and Mm -hmm. uh and a handbook you really have to show people why you're doing something and have some kind of direction that you not just hey we're here to make money but here we're here to help what is our mission so i I kind of pushed it from a mission-based approach and i think some of the employees get it uh, some of them don't and just learning to deal with hiring and and growing employees saying okay look Hey, you like this? This is your passion. I'll help you do it. So, for example, we had a, one of our staff who started as a front desk phone answer and one five years prior, 10 years ago, she started a, and said, I want to be a diabetic educator or a nurse. And I said, why do you want to be a nurse? And she's like, I want to be a nurse to be a diabetic educator. And I said, OK, well, apparently you just need me to sign off on something and you need to see a bunch of diabetes patients and here's and you can get a license. I'll help you do that. She got her license. I, I helped her do that. She progressed from front desk to back desk to diabetic educator. And now that's her official title. And she's very busy. And then she moved. Mm-hmm. And she said, I, I really would like to do this. And I said, well, you moving to Colorado doesn't prevent you from still working for me. So she still works for us. So she works virtually. Wow. And so she's very popular. Same thing with internal so anytime a staff person says, I'm interested in egg, I say go for it. Because if there's some way that X helps the practice in the same in the mission, it's good for everybody. So I feel like that's one way that let the employees feel like they own a part of the practice and that they're desires kind of think with what we would want. And I feel like that's something that's helped. I may be wrong about that. I'm still learning. But one of our current practice managers started from day one uh, in the front office. And then he went to the back office. Then he went into uh, the billing department. He one day had told me, I'd I'd love to run this place. And and he's doing a great job now. And he's kind of running the whole thing. And we're growing really rapidly. So as much as we can, I feel like just letting the employees, because everybody's smart in one way or another, And I say, Mm -hmm. let's just use your smarts because I can't think of everything. So that was something that I learned is that I can't mitigate every risk and so I can only think of ways of allowing people to think for themselves I would hope and because there is always going to be stuff that comes up when I'm not there and and they can figure it out great let them do it one of the things that we noticed is when I was trying to do these videos and digital processes and telehealth before it was a thing it was really difficult to get things done like that in a regulated medical environment because everything has rules and if it's always been this way it can't be done any way else but as we can see in, in the pandemic everything changes at all at all times so i guess change is a constant
0: yes and, and so then as we start to wrap up the show, I am curious, what was the aha moment for you where you realized I have a blind spot that they come to you out of the blue and say, we don't like how you're like a robot. Or was it that you had turnover? What got you actually you know, going, Hey, I need to read these books. I need to become a better
1: leader. I think it was turnover. We had a lot of turnover originally. Mm. And, and I just kept thinking, why are people leaving?
0: A <laughs> good this question.
1: And, and then I thought, well, it must be me. So, <laughs> and then I thought, well, what, what is it about great organizations? And so, I guess I just started reading after that and how basically self-help books for businesses. And so I just kept reading these books and saying, well, they're all kind of saying the same thing. You can't just be in charge and just tell people what to do. It's kind of like raising children. You kind of have to let them grow into themselves. (laughs) And if you just don't give them the chance, then there's no reason for them to not rebel and to leave. I mean, so uh, if I say, let me help you help me and let it go and not give too many rules which is my tendency i mean because i like rules because hmm. uh, they because I, I view everything is rule-based but and that seems to have been kind of the key recently in our business to, to keep things together and the less turnover we have the less confusion there is the less in retraining we have to do the less patience we will because in the end of the day it's about the patience and so if they are seeing confusion, and that's the that's what you see online. You see, so-and-so doctor is great, but the staff sucks.
0: Exactly. And that's really
1: just a description of, yeah, the doctor seems to know what they're doing, but their systems suck. Yeah. And so I realized, hey, not only do you have to have systems, but you have to have some inspiration for the systems. And how do you keep that system alive, I feel like, is letting the system be created and then let it evolve and buy kind of organically from the ground. Because Everything changes. So if the rules change tomorrow and your system is based for yesterday, if they're if you're not allowing allow, not allowing some employees to make some decisions, it's just going to fall apart and there's going to be frustration. So we do a lot of feedback and uh, meetings and constant meetings. So one thing we do every week for the last ten years, we meet with our management, and then every month for the last ten years, once a month, same day of the month, we meet with the entire staff. And we've been doing that for so long now that it's just everybody knows we can give feedback at any point.
0: I think you just said the big key, and I really appreciate you being willing to come on the show and share not just your best practices, but also your blind spots. Not a lot of leaders are willing to do that. And the fact that you even were willing to look at yourself, I think is definitely a turning point and feedback loops constantly, right? Because like you said, there's constant change. So it's not just one time and done. So thank you so much for being on the show. This has been fantastic. So thank you. Great.
1: Thank you for having me.